We're going to read Psalm 84 together. And some of the kids I know know it, so you're welcome to join in with us if you you know it. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Amen. Let's pray and then the kids can go out. Father, will you now bless us, strengthen us, And help us to trust in you by the power of your word and based on your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated and the kids can head back with Caitlin and Marjorie. Rather, if you want to go back, you're welcome to. It's a small crowd, though. It's up to you. I try to gear my sermon... To, uh, to appeal to any kids that are about seven, eight, and up. So anytime there's a kid, an older kid here, uh, they're welcome, you're welcome to stay. And then Mandy, will you grab that door? I want to start by giving you three definitions. First is the word blessed. And then, hey, Johnny, would you hit the light switch right there on the wall? First is the word blessed. This is a, a very spiritual sounding word. We, um, we use it in various ways, various times, but oftentimes we don't realize what it really means, and that's just to be, to be happy, to be truly happy, joyful, filled with satisfaction, filled with uh, a fullness, a fulfillment. So when the, the psalmist here says, blessed are those who dwell in your house, he's saying happy, fulfilled, joyful are those who dwell in your house. Happy are those whose strength is in you. Happy is the one who trusts in you. Second definition is this word Zion or the place Zion. You know, if you listen to news reports anywhere, you, 
probably hear the word Zionist. It refers to those who want to um, see the, the modern nation state of Israel uh, uh, become powerful. Um, but Zion has always meant the place where God dwells, the city where he lives, the place where people would come to meet him. And so in the Old Testament, this referred to the, the actual city of Jerusalem where the pilgrims would come and journey from all over the place so that they could come to the temple where God would specially meet with his people because he, he received sacrifices there. And with, with sacrifice, there was forgiveness and the people would come into his presence, and so God met with them. If any of you were around during the Galatians sermon series we did, we talked about how that heavenly city, that, that city of Jerusalem, the place where God dwells, is no longer the, the city of earthly Jerusalem, but it's, it's a city that's in heaven, kept for God now. In fact, in, in Galatians, here's what Paul says about that city. It's no longer, let me read it for you. It was in Galatians 4, he was comparing, you remember, Hagar and Sarah. He said, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds with the, the present Jerusalem, the earthly Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. When we read these words, the highway to Zion and all of that, God is speaking about the highway to his presence, not about the, um, uh, any of the desires, frankly, of, the, of the, the nation, Israel. Now, we can discuss the whole thing of the nation of Israel in a separate topic, but that's separate. When we hear, blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion, think about that being the path to God and the heavenly Jerusalem. And we also studied, will one day be united with earth, the new heaven and the new earth, the heavenly Jerusalem descends from the sky and God will again dwell with his people on earth. Third definition is the valley of Baca, verse 6. Actually, you're going to be really unsatisfied with this because no one knows quite what the valley of Baca is. And there's no real conclusive evidence about where it was what specifically it was, but we do know that it was a dry and thirsty place, a place where people had to travel through, and when they went through that that valley, it was lonely. They were exposed. It was a difficult place. Now, I grew up in the Midwest, and in the Midwest, we build roads differently than in, the, in California. Have you ever flown over the Midwest? you notice how the roads are built? They're in very straight lines because the country is very flat and is efficient. I'm sure many of you have flown over it and you know exactly what I'm talking about. But in San Diego, we build roads through valleys, right? Because it's easier to go through valleys when we build a road than to go up and over hills and around things. So all of our highways go through valleys. That's the way uh, ancient Israel and, and modern day Israel is to, uh, to a degree, is that when they build roads, they built them through valleys because rivers ran through valleys. 
right? And rivers tend to find the, the path of least resistance, and they're very flat, and so they follow, they follow that kind of uh, path of the river. So a valley is a convenient place to build a road. It's not a great place oftentimes to travel because if there are hills and mountains around you, it's easy for, for robbers, for bandits to hide and, and to attack. Uh, sometimes the valleys can even be very dark because they, uh, they're covered with walls. Now sometimes that can be uh, those walls can provide shade, but, but other times it's dark. But the benefit of having a road built through a valley, at least in ancient Israel, was that it did go along waterways, and so you had something to drink. At least that was a, a positive thing. So the Valley of Baca is kind of interesting, because in the Valley of Baca, there wasn't water. It was a dry and thirsty place. The types of trees that this name Baca comes from are, are desert-type trees. And even the, the verse that it speaks of, they make it a place of springs, and the early rain also covers it with pools, indicates that, that this valley was a, not only a dangerous road because of, of, of robbers, but a dry and desolate road. You generally didn't want to travel on, but sometimes you, you had to. The purpose of this psalm is to tell us that at times in our lives we will be traveling on those dry and desolate roads. Sometimes we won't, sometimes we'll be high and sometimes we'll be low. But when we do travel on those dry and desolate roads... God wants us to know that he's with us there as well. And he provides for our lives. But the problem is that a lot of us don't, we have a hard time believing that. We aren't quite sure. A, a, a friend of mine who's a pastor told this story in a, in a sermon about, um, about a wealthy woman who owned an estate in, in England during the, the time of World War II. And and this woman had a large house, and so she would, um, during the war, invite some of the airmen, when they were not on mission, over to her house. And she could feed, um, she could feed 200 airmen in her house at one time. She was very wealthy. And she, um, she at some point along the way, uh, acquired a cat. It was a, it was a wild cat, it was just kind of a barn cat or something, and it just wandered in one day. And so she would she took it to the vet and had the vet check it out. The cat was fine. She took it back wanting to make it her, her own and and um but the cat didn't want to be at the house. The cat would go off for days, weeks, months, and then occasionally come come back and get food and a little bit of love and attention and then head back out. This went on for years, I think. Till one day, the vet received a call, and the woman said, come quick, I need you to look at my cat, Debbie. And the vet came, and sure enough, Debbie was dying. But next to Debbie was a, was a kitten that had just uh, been born from, from Debbie. 
And Debbie knew where to come when she needed food. She knew where to come when her newborn kitten needed a place to live when she was dying. She knew who would look after her kitten even if she didn't want to come be a part of that family. And the kitten ended up leaving, living uh, with this wealthy woman for the rest of her life, never left. But Deb, Debbie died. And, and it's a picture of how any of us treat God. We don't really want to go to him all the time. We go to him when, when we need something. We go to him uh, when there's trouble. We go to him when we know somebody else needs something. We're quick to point out, oh, God can help you with that. But we're slow to go to him and say, I want to live in your house. And for whatever reason, maybe we don't like his rules. Maybe we question his motives. Maybe we haven't really experienced his love in our lives. But this is a psalm who experienced some kind of distance from God. You know, it's a psalm for people who are kind of wandering through life aimlessly and who want direction. It's a psalm for people who are are restless in life and don't want to sit down and enjoy God's company. People who, who may feel worthless in this life and don't believe that God values them. People who feel exposed to danger in this life. Or maybe people who feel neglected by God. Verse 5 says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. We don't think of a, of a, a heart being a, a roadway very often, do we? But what, so what does this mean? In whose heart are the highways to Zion? Came across one author who who said this, that the, um, the human heart or the natural heart is a pathless wilderness full of cliffs and precipices. But when the heart is renewed by grace, a road is made, a highway is prepared for our God. Happy, remember, happy are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways Zion. Do you feel like your life is on a, an aimless path and you're just kind of stumbling around in the dark and you aren't really following any kind of path? You're just, you're just going from one thing to the next and, and you don't know where to go. This is what God says to you. You will be happy if in your heart you set your path on my highway. A highway that may go through the valley of Baca at times, but still it is a highway that I will be with you on. And I will provide for all of your needs. In fact, I will even use you to make those places of darkness, even in your own life, places of springs for you and others around you. It doesn't say the springs just pop up around you. It says those people who are walking in those places actually make those places, those valleys of darkness, of despair, of, of desert time, they make those places, places of springs 
And then by God's good mercy and by his provision, he also provides rains to make those places pools. If you're lacking direction, and God in his provisions, in his, uh, in his ways will make your heart a highway to Zion. Or maybe there are those of you who feel restless, who are just always ready to, to do something. You don't want to sit down and spend time in God's presence. Like that cat. It's always out and about. But you don't want to come in and be a part of God's life. This psalm actually addresses those too when it says, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Now, you know what a swallow is known for? A swallow is known for just flittering all over the place. It can't sit still. They just have to move all the time. And so, and so what does the psalmist say here about the swallow? What, what does the swallow find in God's house? By the way, the, the, the birds, the, the temple area was a large area and some of it was exposed to, to the to outside and so literally birds would nest in, in the temple and so this was sort of this picture. Even the swallows and sparrows find a home. But, but what's the picture that the swallow, this flittering, never satisfied kind of bird finds in God's presence? It was a nest, a home, a place where she could settle down and lay her eggs and provide for her children. Be restless. Use this psalm to remind you of God's provision of his home. Or, or maybe there are those of you who feel worthless. Feel like God doesn't really value you. Feel like other people don't really value you. And to you, God says in verse 3, even the even the sparrow finds a home. You know what a sparrow was known for? Sparrows were a dime a dozen. They were, they were cheap. Jesus said in Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, because sparrows could be used for, for sacrifices and so they were sold. Matthew 10, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore you are more valuable than many sparrows. Penny isn't quite the right translation. It's it's a farthing is what, what it was called. It was the lowest denomination of Roman coin, but it's not quite the same as saying a penny because a, a farthing was worth probably closer to about $5 in our, our sense. Two sparrows were sold for, for about $5, $5. But nonetheless, the sparrow was known as the cheapest sacrifice you could get. If you needed to offer a sacrifice and you were poor, you could get a sparrow, or two for that matter. And God's saying, even 
those worthless birds, the sparrows, find a home in my place. And they're not really worthless. After all, he cares for them. But he cares for you as well. And you are worth far more than the sparrows ever were. He continues on this theme of of those who feel worthless, that the Lord is the provider for everything that that they they need and, and is their worth and is their provider. And... And it ties in with this sort of this concept of the Valley of Baca and being exposed. And he says in verse 10, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Let me tell you who feels worthless. Maybe you can't compare yourself to a sparrow, right? The sparrows kind of look like they're having fun. I like birds. But can you, can you compare yourself, any of you on Facebook know that I took a bunch of pictures this week so you get that inside <laughs> joke. But let me tell you what that doorkeeper really is. It's not just somebody who was hired by God, who was the, had the job of guarding the door. The... the uh, There's another word in Hebrew for that. It speaks of that person who had that position, and that position was actually a pretty good job. You know, provided for for a family. It was respected when somebody came up and they greeted the doorkeeper. You know what this word means? Somebody who lies at the threshold of God's house. Who lies at the threshold of doors. We see it all the time in San Diego. It's somebody who's homeless, right? And what this person who wrote this poem is saying is that it's better to be homeless and sleeping at the door of God's house than to be wealthy and living in the tents of wickedness. Living in the tents of Sin, taking advantage of other people to build up your own wealth, not considering the needs of other people if you have wealth and being generous. It's better to be homeless. I'd rather be a homeless person sitting at the, at the door of God's house than to live in the mansions of those who run from God. Because, of course, God invites in those homeless people. God welcomes in those who humble themselves before him. Prayed earlier, confessing where we were not humble before God. The humble before God saying, I can't provide for myself. Will you provide for me, God? And in fact, the dangerous place, probably the most dangerous place to be in all of the world is to be in a place of comfort and self-provision. Because we convince ourselves that we somehow don't need God, or at least we don't need God for for everything. Jesus spoke of that over and over and warned people who felt like they could provide for themselves, who they could they could do it all themselves. And God said, no, for those of you who feel worthless and exposed, I'm actually your provider and your protector. He says in verse 11, the Lord God 
is a sun and a shield. What does the sun do? It provides heat and warmth. It provides light so that people can travel in safety. In darkness, there's danger, but in light, there's protection. It provides even the energy for the plants to grow. It's the, it's the source of energy we know now scientifically for, for basically everything that happens on earth. And God says, I am your son. I am your provider for everything. Even if you think you're doing it yourself, I gave you that too. And not only that, but I am your shield. I am your protector. Do you notice in verse 9, it says, Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. It was kind of strange. What is that shield? God is their shield, right? But no, the people had asked for a king because kings protected them against other people. And they look to the king as their shield, the commander of their armies, their protector. And probably at this point, that king had been taken captive and their shield was gone. He says, look at our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed king. This may have been even David himself when he was run out of Jerusalem for a time. And he said, I can't be their provider and their protector. Will you be their God? Will you be their protector? Will you be their provider? Will you be their king? And whoever the psalmist is, they're saying it with gusto. In fact, in verse 2, it said, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord, as if this was a king who was a long way from Jerusalem and longed to be back home. And he said, My heart and flesh, we translate it, sing for joy, but literally this word is cry out, like a a warrior cries out when he's going into battle, to, to cry out with all of your heart and your flesh, that's your whole body, the inside and the outside, to, to scream to the living God. Sing for joy is a poor translation, I hate to say it. I don't know why they did it. But when you find yourself in a dark valley, when you find yourself in other people, with other people who have a dark valley, then God is saying to you, Cry out as if a warrior, as if somebody who's far away and in a dangerous situation is crying to me with all of their voice, and I will come and answer you and provide for you and be your son and your shield, and I will give to you, bestows, kind of an ancient word, the Lord gives favor and honor or or, Really, this should be grace. It's the Lord's favor. It's not just that he looks on you and smiles. It's that he gives you things that you don't deserve. I will give you grace. And I will give you my favor. Because Jesus has done that for you. He's taken the penalty for your sin. Romans 8. Romans 8, it says this. Let me say this. In Isaiah 40, 40, verse 3, Isaiah prophesies of a voice crying in the wilderness, saying, prepare the way of the Lord, that, that highway to Zion. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And we know now that that highway 
was Jesus himself. Romans, it says, what, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? John, uh, excuse me, uh, John Bunyan, when he wrote that famous allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress, speaks of a, a pilgrim who's on a, a road. And that road is ultimately heading to the celestial city, which is Zion, that place where God dwells. And describes all kinds of dangers and pitfalls and, and troubles, especially when he gets off that road. But he describes the road as one that is lifted up, elevated, safer from the surrounding areas, like a lifted up highway that we drive on. You know, you look down, it would be tough for a bandit to attack you there. It would be tough to, to fall into danger for a flood to come and, and, and sweep you away. He even describes that road as a road with walls on either side. And those walls protect us from the dangers, and especially from the danger of discouragement. Of when we're going through these difficult times and the evil one, Satan himself, wants to attack you and say, God, see, God isn't really providing for you. God isn't really doing the things you want. The, the right way, that straight path, is like a, wall, a road with walls that protect us from those arrows that Satan shoots at us and reminds us that no, God is the one who will protect you, who will provide for your every need. How are we reminded of this? What are these kind of walls? It's not physical walls that we walk through. It's actually the word of God. It's actually the Psalms like this one that we read over and over because we forget and we act like that cat Debbie just wandered off thinking I've got everything. When we know the place where we should go for all of God's good provisions. So read this psalm over and over and over. Especially when you're in a valley of Baca, but even when you're not. Because the psalm can actually act as a wall to convince you of God's provision in all of your life. Let's pray. Father, we know our propensity to run from you and to not trust of your promises and your provision or your protection. So Lord, thank you that you've given us these, these psalms and far more in your word that remind us that you are our sun and our shield. And you give us favor, and honor. You give us grace that we don't deserve. Will you help us to, to stay on that path? To not run away from danger when it presents itself, but to go forward to it if it's sitting on that path because we know that you've 
directed us to it, will protect us from it, and will provide for us in the midst of it. Help us to be springs to those who are in dry and dark places around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.